Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, good morning. It's nice to see all of you. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we jump into our uh, series this morning, I want to highlight two things that are in your program as you were handed on the way in. The first one is that if you are new, uh, one, thank you for being here. We're really glad that you're here, and we would actually love to meet you. And so next week, we have our New to Candeo brunch, which is uh, between services at 10 o'clock up in equipping room two, I believe. And so we would love to feed you and get to know you and then be able to answer any questions that you have about uh, Candeo and us as a church. And so the second thing is you'll see at the bottom in that little kind of blurb, I suppose, above the events and signups QR code, we are going to be having for the next six weeks a Q&A time in between services where a handful of our elders will actually be up here and uh, you can text in a question that you have. And here's the thing, it's free game. It's whatever you want to ask, all right? You You could ask our favorite color. I don't know if Maybe that's interesting to you, maybe not. Or you, you could ask something about the message. You could ask something about the Christian faith. You could ask something about uh, Candeo as a church. Anything you want to ask is free game. What we're trying to do in that time for the next six weeks between services is that we kind of, we, like right now, it's very much kind of a monologue, right? There's not a whole lot of back and forth, maybe a little bit, some like affirming nods, right? If that, that would be helpful for me, okay? Just to know that you're still awake. But... Um, but we really want to kind of create more of a dialogue where you have an opportunity to ask a question uh, anonymously and to be able to hear some perspectives from our leadership. And if we don't know the answer, we'll just say, I don't know, that's a great question. And we'll try to figure it out for you and maybe bring it back the next week. And so we would love for you to stick around during that time. If you have kids, you can feel free to grab your kids, bring them in. It's, it's pretty informal, but it'll, it'll be right here in the auditorium about five or 10 minutes after the service. And so you can text in your questions. We may not be able to hit all of them, Uh, but we'll try our best. So this morning, uh, you've probably already opened to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you couldn't find it, it's just go to the middle of your Bible and then it's to the right. Okay, so Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And I'd like to begin our series. We're gonna be in Ecclesiastes basically uh, up until Thanksgiving. And I wanna begin our series with a little bit of poetry. Any poets in the room? Anyone like poetry? Okay, nobody. All right, so one. All right, great. Uh, Maybe though, maybe this, I I just want to give you a a few lines of a poem that it's likely that some of you might know. And it goes like this. Is this the real life? (laughs) Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes, look to the skies, and see that I'm just a poor boy. I need no sympathy because I'm easy come, easy go, little high, little low. Any way the wind blows doesn't really matter to me. To me. I would encourage you, any, like, your favorite song, just read it like that, and it just totally changes the lyrics, right? But as you may know, that's the first verse of the Bohemian Rhapsody from the famous 20th century poet, Freddie Mercury. I was introduced to Queen at a young age through the second Mighty Ducks movie, because that's, like, half of the music in that movie, right? And so, like, 
Like we are the champions and we will rock you. Just totally, it, it rocked my world. I was rocked. as like a six-year-old kid watching that movie, right? But you'll, maybe you remember how the song ends. Nothing really matters. Anyone can see. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. Now, Freddie was perhaps on to something in that he kind of encapsulates the theme or the supposed theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, which it has gotten a lot of good press lately, actually, with Oliver Anthony, Richmond, North of Richmond, like basically telling every, all of his fans, you know, read the book of Proverbs, read the book of Ecclesiastes. But if you read Ecclesiastes, you may find yourself going, why in the world would anyone suggest that I read this book? It's quite depressing. It's really quite depressing, which is perhaps why Many people and many Christians kind of avoid it because we don't really know what to do with Ecclesiastes. It really seems like the depressing musings of a hopeless cynic because for 99% of the book, it seems like it's all cloud and no silver lining. For 99% of the book, it seems like it's all sour and no sweet. And we don't know what to do with it because we really like happy endings. We love happy endings. Nemo always gets found, always. Doesn't matter where he goes, right? The glass slipper always fits. It always does. I was, I was watching a movie uh, Friday night with my family and about halfway through, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if at this point everyone died and the credits rolled? And they just kind of like, what is wrong with you? You know, it's like... <laughs> I don't know. I just think that'd be an interesting way to end a movie, right? Like Thanos always eventually, he eventually gets killed. Like we know that, you know, because we like happy endings. And when there isn't a happy ending, we tend to call that a tragedy. Now here's the problem. We know that tragedies, tragedies exist, but in order to be able to call something a tragedy, you have to be able to look at things against a backdrop of ultimate meaning, and so what happens when a society removes God or any sense of transcendence? What happens is, is that you, you remove ultimate transcendent meaning. And so your ability to call something a tragedy is actually incongruent with your worldview that there is ultimately no meaning or purpose or that your meaning or purpose has to be constructed individually, which is why... Perhaps today's college students, you college students may actually resonate with Ecclesiastes more than us millennials or people older. And here's why. It's because some of you college students, you watched your older millennial siblings be told that they could change the world, that they could do anything they wanted, and then they got a participation trophy like on the way, you know? And then you watched your siblings go into tremendous amounts of debt graduate with tremendous debt only to come back home and live in your parents' basement and work at Starbucks. All the while, the world has not changed. In the words of another famous poet, John Mayer, and we're just left waiting for the world to change. You see, so while Ecclesiastes may strike some as incredibly depressing for some of us, it may actually be refreshing because it's utterly realistic about life. Now, as we walk through Ecclesiastes, what we're going to see is, is this little word 
occur 35 times. And that little word is the Hebrew word hevel. And what hevel means, what, it's, what it literally means is vapor, is breath. It's translated in our Bibles as futile. Maybe it's translated in your, in your translation as meaningless, but it's literally the picture of a vapor or a mist in the wind, something that dissolves and is just, to, is just blown away. It's the picture of something that's pursued or achieved in vain. And, and this word will show up 35 times, which is quite a bit because Ecclesiastes is only 12 chapters long. And what we're gonna see as we go through this book is there's a main voice, a main speaker, and that speaker is referred to as the teacher. And what the teacher is going to talk about is a number of life experiences, a number of things within our world, things within our life, things that we might pursue that if, if pursued as an end in themselves, that they will end up to be found to be ultimately meaningless. Things like wisdom, which is what we're gonna talk about this morning. Things like pleasure, things like work, things like wealth, things like youth, a variety of things. And, and this, is, this is why we've actually structured our series the way that we have in that we, we, we're not gonna be necessarily hitting absolutely every verse in Ecclesiastes, but we are going to be following the flow of the teacher's argument as he walks through these variety of topics that if pursued in and of themselves will leave us ultimately feeling meaningless. And so that's why we've structured the series in the way that we have. We'll be going through the book linearly, but we'll be following the flow of topics that the teacher addresses. Now, I know I'm a little long here on the introduction of our series, but there's something that we need to see. There's something so important that we need to see in the structure of Ecclesiastes if we're gonna actually, actually understand what in the world this book is about. And that thing that we need to see is that there are actually two voices 99% of the book is the teacher. But the other 1% of this book, the other voice, totally changes the way we should approach Ecclesiastes. And the other voice is the narrator. Now, the narrator only appears at the beginning and at the end. So the narrator begins the book in chapter 1, verses one and two. And what the narrator is doing is he is recounting the words of the teacher. So the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then he goes on to recount the words. But then in verse 12 of chapter one, now the teacher jumps in, in the first person and says, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And then the teacher is talking from chapter one, verse 12, all the way until chapter 12, where then the narrator jumps back in at the end of the book in verse nine, he says, in addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge, he weighed and explored. And then at the very end, the teacher wraps up, the, the, the narrator wraps up the whole book, everything that the teacher has said. And he says, all, in light of all of this, when all has been heard, chapter 12, verse 13, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Now, why is this important? This is important because while the message of the teacher is that everything is meaningless, it's all vanity, it's all futile, that isn't necessarily the message of the narrator. You see, what Ecclesiastes essentially is, is it's the narrator 
setting before us a guy who has pursued everything in life as an end in itself and has come up meaningless, but then the narrator comes in at the very end and says, but that's not the end of the story. You could say in many ways, Ecclesiastes is a list of virtues that we find in Proverbs, but pursued in the absence of God. Because we're gonna walk through and we're gonna see a lot of good things. We're gonna, we're gonna see wisdom, wisdom's good. We're gonna see pleasure, pleasure isn't inherently bad. We're gonna see work, we're gonna see youth. Like things that are, you could, you could find other places in scripture and go, well, doesn't, doesn't the Bible speak of these things even in positive terms? Like, so what is with Ecclesiastes? And the point is not that these things in and of themselves are bad, but the point is that the narrator is holding up for us a person who has pursued these things and only these things. Not as a means to an end, but as an end in themselves. What Ecclesiastes does is it affirms the feeling of emptiness that will come if you only pursue these things. Some of you might even feel this futility right now. Maybe you feel a little aimless. Maybe you feel a little stuck in a rut, like, like life is a never-ending cycle. If you read the first part of uh, chapter one, you're actually gonna see that that is basically the point that, that the narrator is recounting, the teacher is making. It's like, life is cyclical. The sun rises, the sun sets, the water goes into the ocean, comes back to the streams, where like everything is cyclical and we get so incredibly bored with monotony. Some of you may be feeling the futility of the monotonous life where you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you sleep, you drink on the weekends, and then you come back on Monday and you just kind of do it all over again. And what Ecclesiastes is going to do is if you feel like your life is futile, it's going to affirm those feelings, but it's not going to leave you there. You see, when, when we are hit with feelings of futility because of the monotony of life or because we have pursued things to their ultimate end and have found them to not be satisfying, what the world will tell you is, we'll just find another distraction. Maybe you need to try something else. Maybe you really just need to lean into it more. But we're gonna see in Ecclesiastes is an affirmation that yes, pursuing that as an end in itself is meaningless but it doesn't have to be. So the challenge of this book is seeing that the teacher really does have something helpful to say. Like just because the narrator is going to come in at the end and say, that's not the end of the story. The teacher really does have a lot of meaningful things to say. And the challenge is, is to recognize that while his assessment of life is valuable, it's not ultimately the final word. And in our passage this morning, the teacher is in a really curious way beginning his exploration of futility by turning his sights on wisdom, which is something that the Bible consistently speaks very highly of. But here he's saying that even wisdom is futile. Now let's see why. If you have your Bible, again, chapter one, let's look at verses 12 and 13. 
In verses 12 and 13, he says, I, the teacher, he's applied, I've applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. And then jump down to verse 16, and he says, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. What is he saying? He's saying in kind of a roundabout way, I'm really smart. Like he's one smart cookie. Like he, he has a 4.2 GPA, which is, I don't know how that's possible. Extra credit, I don't know. He's like the smartest guy you'd ever know. You know, for us, we wanna know something and we just Google it. Pull out our phone, Google it. Well, they didn't have that. And so what did they do? They didn't Google it. They'd say, go to the teacher. The teacher was the ancient version of Google. Now, if anyone, and because of that, if anyone should have understood the purpose, the meaning of life, it would have been him. And yet, Go to verse 17 in chapter one. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. What is he saying? He's saying learning, wisdom, knowledge, it's all meaningless. Students, welcome to college. Good grief, right? Like, we're three miles away from a college known for its teacher's college, right? And some of you, you, many of you are going into a profession of learning. And yet here, the teacher is saying, doesn't matter. Wasting your time. Change your major. It's all meaningless. So, some of you kids are going to wake up, like, tomorrow and tell your parents, like, well, I don't have to go to school anyway. Jake said this doesn't matter. <laughs> You know, audiences, just hold on, all right? Don't end here. Now, to be sure, anti-intellectualism is a real thing and is a danger that should be avoided, right? But my guess is that being in a place where we are within a 20-mile radius of three colleges, where we have students and educators walking around everywhere, engineers walking around everywhere, then my guess is that it isn't, that the only danger presented to us today isn't just anti-intellectualism, but is also elitism. And here's what I mean, is that it would be very easy as an educated successful, middle-class, upper-middle-class person to look down your nose and go, well, I don't struggle with, you know, with an addiction to sex. I don't struggle with alcoholism. I don't struggle with pornography. I don't struggle with drugs or entertainment. And all the while, you, you may not find your meaning and purpose in those things, but instead, you find your meaning and purpose in knowledge and in learning and in the ability to figure things out. For some of you, your, your self-assurance is in analysis. For some of you, perhaps, your security is in spreadsheets. But you'll soon find out, if you haven't already, the truth of verse 18 Chapter one, verse 18, for with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. 
Someone once said of, of Steve Jobs that the problem with being a brilliant designer is that you have to live most of your life constantly dissatisfied. Perhaps you've experienced something similar, right? The reality that the more you know, the more discontent you are with the way that things are. Like if you, if you know great cuisine, then you're perhaps maybe a little annoyed by fast food. My guess is that SpaghettiOs don't sell really well in Italy. That's my guess. I couldn't find a stat on that, but I'm just guessing, right? That if you, you know, like if you know good coffee, that the best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup, right? It's not. It, if, if that's the best part of waking up, just stay in bed. Like, <laughs> ser- like your day is going to be terrible. Like, if that's the best part of your day. Why is it, why is it that many of us don't have the same sense of adventure and the same sense of joy that we perhaps had when we were kids. Why? It's because we grew up. Isn't that what Peter Pan was avoiding? Old, grumpy, crusty Captain Hook has experienced life. Time has a piece of him. And so he just doesn't want to grow up. Could it be that that the extended adolescence that many are trying to perpetuate is actually because of a loss of a sense of meaning. Because ignorance actually is bliss, isn't it? Wisdom or knowledge cannot ultimately give you the peace, the peace of mind you desire, but it can actually be a source of anxiety. The teacher even shows us that the results of, that the results of wisdom, that the results of living a, a wise life will ultimately actually be ignored and fade away. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to see more of this as we walk through the book. Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done. He'll do what's already been done. He'll squander it. He'll throw it away. And if not him, his, his son or his son's son, surely it, it is the case that living a wise life can sometimes get you what you want, can sometimes help you accomplish goals. But the reality is, is that eventually your kids and your grandkids will have a yard sale and they'll be selling your stuff for pennies on the dollar. The, and, and, and you will eventually be forgotten. I, I don't, maybe you're a better family member than I am. I don't know my great-grandparents' names. Now, maybe you do, but my guess is if, if we add a few more greats, you don't know their names either. See, wisdom can't change the human condition. No matter how wise or smart you are, they'll eventually die and be forgotten. Now, let's pray. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to end there. So, <laughs> I've always wanted the movie to end that way, right? So, 
Plenty of wise people die young and plenty of foolish people live a long life. I mentioned it a few months ago, but our teacher here sounds an awful lot like Thomas Nagel, who once said this, even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down or collapse and all trace of your efforts will vanish. Chapter two, verse 15. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile. Now, the teacher is onto something here. But the question we need to ask is how is the wisdom, how is the learning that the teacher is talking about here in Ecclesiastes, how is that different than the wisdom that Proverbs encourages and in many ways even commands? How? How is that different? Look back at chapter 1, verse 13. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now contrast that with Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do you see the difference? You see, while the wisdom that the teacher is talking about in Ecclesiastes, that the wisdom itself is an end in itself and that it only focuses on the things of, on the things of earth, he applied his mind to explore everything under the sun Proverbs portrays a kind of wisdom, a kind of knowledge, a kind of learning that is not an end in itself, but is instead a result of fearing the Lord. In other words, if you only apply yourself to understand the things of earth, you will find that that kind of wisdom and knowledge is futile. But if you apply yourself to understand the one who created the earth, you'll begin to possess a wisdom and a knowledge that is not meaningless, but is meaningful. You, you remember in Matthew chapter 22 that Jesus, it, it, is, it is good for us to think, it is good for us to increase in knowledge, to pursue learning, right? I've spent 20 minutes talking about how learning is meaningless, right? And yet it is good for us to do this. Why? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 that we're to love the Lord your God with, your, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? With all your mind. We as Christians should not neglect to love the Lord with our minds. We should not be allergic to learning. We should not be averse to thinking. We shouldn't be a mile wide and an inch, and an inch deep. Christians, here's a hot take. Christians should not know more about their Enneagram number than they do about the attributes of God. Christians should not be able to have more stimulating conversation about sports than they are able to have about Jesus to have more passionate conversations about politics than they are about salvation. To have more informed conversations about your hobbies or to be more informed about what's going on in the world, in the world and in just in the people that you know through social media than you, than you understand who God is and what he is doing. 
We should be a thinking people. But here's the thing. Jesus said, love the Lord with your mind, not love your mind as Lord. You see, trying to be as smart as you possibly can just to be as smart as you possibly can is actually a way to become your own savior. Consider this. Was it not the pursuit of wisdom in the absence of God that caused the fall of humanity in the first place? Isn't that what, what the serpent tempted Adam and Eve with, right? Eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will become like God. The temptation to become like God, the pursuit of knowledge, not to love God, but to become like God. But here's the good news this morning. Say, all this sounds like bad news. No, there's, there's good news to be had here. Here's the good news this morning, is that there is a wisdom, there is a knowledge that doesn't lead to futility, that doesn't lead to meaninglessness, but gives meaning to our otherwise meaningless lives, to our otherwise meaningless pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. And it's what Paul lifts up in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 22. It'll be up on the screen. Here's what he says. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews in foolishness to the Gentiles, yet those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So do you want knowledge that isn't futile? Do you want wisdom that isn't meaningless? Do you want a life that isn't empty? Friends, stop trusting in your own knowledge. Stop leaning on your own wisdom. Stop pursuing the things of earth as an end in themselves and look to the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look to Jesus Christ himself who became God's wisdom in the flesh for our sake so that your boast and my boast would not be in our wisdom and in our strength, but in his. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to have a wisdom that matters? Fill your mind and focus your attention on the glories of Jesus Christ. And when your knowledge of Christ begins to produce worship of Christ, then you know, then you know, it's only then that we can be truly wise in a way that matters. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, your wisdom incarnate. Oh, would you free us from the pursuit of futile things? Would you free us from being wise in our own eyes, from loving our minds as Lord, from filling our minds with everything but the glories of you, Jesus? Oh Lord, would we be a wise church in a way that matters for eternity? Help us to love you with our minds, Jesus. We pray in, in your name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. 
To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.